0: Are you smarter than a fifth grader? You know, that's more than the name of an entertaining and often embarrassing game show. It's actually a good question, especially when it comes to biblical knowledge. And I've got a feeling that most of our fifth graders, if they've been attending Sunday school regularly... And if they've been doing their weekly assignments with their parents, would put most of us to shame if we actually tried to find out. That's because many adults, Christian adults, are still in elementary school when it comes to the Bible. And some have actually been stuck in preschool for decades. Sadly, many have never gone beyond the ABCs of the Bible. And that was true of the original recipients of the letter to the Hebrews. The author has been discussing the priesthood of Jesus. And after stating that Jesus had been designated a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, he regressed for a moment. It was almost as if he could see his readers' minds shutting down. He was talking about something they hadn't heard before. And so he stopped and said, in effect, clean out your ears. Hebrews 5. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. There was much to say about Melchizedek and the implications of Jesus' priesthood based upon the order of Melchizedek, but it was hard to explain Not because the concepts were difficult in themselves, but because the readers had become dull of hearing. The word translated dull means lazy, sluggish. They wouldn't make the effort to hear or understand what he was saying. What he was trying to teach them was something they hadn't heard before. And he knew that was enough to make many of them simply shut it out. They were a lot like American Christians, according to one Englishman, Major Ian Thomas, who said, I have discovered an interesting thing about American Christians. They do not usually come to church to learn anything. Whatever they do not yet know themselves, they think is heresy. What they want to hear is the same old stuff so they can say, amen, brother, amen. Well, apparently the writer of Hebrews knew that what he was saying about the Melchizedekian priesthood wouldn't get that kind of response from his readers. They would have to think about it. It would be something new to them, and most would therefore simply shut him off. They didn't want to think. So they shut down. And they would say, Oh, it's just too deep for me. The truth of the matter is that those who respond like that are, for the most part, just not willing to dig. They're not willing to work to be able to understand what's being said. And so they dismiss it without even considering it. They're lazy. They're lazy, and they've got lazy ears, and once you get lazy ears and stop thinking, you run the risk of losing even your grasp of the simple things. That's what had happened to the Hebrews. They had been Christians for quite some time, enough time, in fact, to become teachers they should have been passing the truths of God's word on to others. But because of their lazy ears and minds, they needed someone to teach them the elementary principles of God's word again. They didn't even have the ABCs of God's word down yet. They had quit thinking. And as a result, were going nowhere. In fact, they were losing ground. Their lazy ears led to slow-moving minds. They had become, as Barclay put it, witlessly and senselessly forgetful. They had developed what he calls the imperceptive and lethargic nature of a stone. (laughs) It was time for them to clean out their ears, to begin listening, to begin thinking. And that meant they were going to have to expand their diet. Back to verse 12 through 14. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature. Who, because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, as Steve pointed out this morning, there's nothing wrong with milk. It's a very basic and important food. It's good for you. And at one point in your life, it was all that your system could handle. But God never intended for you to live on milk and milk alone. For your entire life. But that's what these Christians were trying to do spiritually. Because they weren't willing to chew on anything solid, the only thing they could handle was milk. And as a result, they were not growing. They were still babes in the faith. Now, there's nothing more precious than a baby. Grandmas and grandpas know that. But if that baby never grows up, it becomes pathetic. And these Christians were pathetic. They've been Christians for years, but they were not accustomed to the word of righteousness. They did not know God's word. Whenever they were given something from God's word that was unfamiliar to them, they would just spit it out. If it required any effort on their part to digest, they would refuse it. So all they were given week after week and year after year was spiritual milk. They had no idea of the vast spiritual smorgasbord God had prepared for them in his word. They didn't realize that he had revealed what they needed to know to live full and successful lives. They didn't know what he had to say about the issues they were forced to face. They didn't know how to evaluate the things they heard. They didn't know what was true and what wasn't true. They were spiritual infants. Who had been content to let others think for them and make decisions for them. And sad to say, that's the way many Christians live out their spiritual lives today. Due to a deficient spiritual diet, they don't even know right from wrong. In fact, they've bought into the secular view that there are no universal right and wrongs, not even universal oughts, things that you ought to do, that everyone ought to do. And they bought into that because they've never taken the time or effort to know the truth revealed in God's Word. And if we're going to make a difference in the world, we've got to grow up spiritually spiritually. And the only way to do that is to start partaking of an adult diet. God has given us what we need to know to be able to deal with the sticky issues of the 21st century. But we've got to dig into his word, all of it, if we're going to find the answers we need. We've got to be willing to chew on the tough things that God has put on our plate. We've got to study all of God's word, even the parts Christians don't agree on. And we've got to apply what we discover there to life. Our senses have to be trained to run everything we hear through the sieve of truth revealed in God's word. Only then can we discern good from evil. Only then can we know what is true and what is false. Only then can we understand what's going on all around us. Our spiritual diet must be expanded. Now, that's not to suggest that we should imbibe on the spiritual junk food that's rampant in our society. There's all kinds of stuff out there. I hate to say it, but probably... hmm, Yeah, a lot. Okay, thank you, Nikki. I shouldn't give a percentage. A lot of the stuff at Bible bookstores is spiritual junk food, and it's not good for you. Just because it's spiritual and people are talking about it doesn't mean it's good for you. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that we study God's Word. That we've got to be willing to go on to solid food. We've got to be willing to chew on the hard things we discover in God's Word. You know, I intentionally chose Isaiah for our Wednesday night Bible study. Because that one's tough for me. And we have struggled on Wednesday night with Isaiah. There are times I go, whoo, where are we going? And then like last week I say something, everybody else goes, whoa, where are you going? Man, they shut me down last week. It was fun. We have a very, very small group on Wednesday night. I don't understand why. We got plenty of room. What are you doing that's more important than studying God's Word? We've got to be willing to venture beyond what is familiar and comfortable. In fact, we must leave the elementary teachings if we're to go on beyond the ABCs. Chapter 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. Occasionally someone will ask why I don't preach more evangelistic sermons. But why should I? Why should I preach evangelistic sermons to those who have already been evangelized? That makes as much sense as laying foundation upon foundation and never going on to finish the building. It makes no sense to try to make a gathering of Christians into an evangelistic meeting. Now, if the majority of those gathered were unsaved... Then an evangelistic sermon would be warranted. They would need to hear the elementary teachings about Christ and how to become a Christian. But if they've already heard it and have accepted it, why should they hear it again every Sunday? The story is told of a teacher who complained when someone with, with less seniority than he was promoted to an administrative post. He didn't think it fair that someone with only 10 years' experience should be promoted over someone with 25 years' experience. The principal responded by noting that he really didn't have 25 years' experience. He only had one year's experience, 25 times. And that's what happens if we never leave the elementary teachings about Christ. In our churches, we have churches full of Christians whose longevity is marked by the number of times they've heard the same things, not by how much they know. Now, the basics do need to be touched upon occasionally in our gatherings because some have never heard them. Our auditorium is similar to a one room schoolhouse. And then we have people here at all levels of maturity in Christ and some who have not accepted him as their Lord and Savior. But to never go beyond a first grade curriculum because there are first graders in the room is to condemn everyone to a perpetual first grade. And that's the situation in many churches that's not the way it's supposed to be. The writer of Hebrews says we are to leave the elementary teachings about Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we forget them. Only that we go on beyond them and build upon them and press on to maturity. Now, just what are these elementary teachings we're to leave? These foundational truths... We are to stop laying over and over again. And we read them a moment ago, and that list may very well have surprised you. The first one mentioned is repentance from dead works. There should be no need to keep telling Christians to repent. Repent. Repentance is a change of direction, and that is our first response to believing the truth of the gospel. So if we are Christians, we have already repented. And there's no need to keep calling for it. Now, individual confrontation for sin may still be necessary at times. And occasional reminders of our new direction in life might be helpful, but the focus of preaching to Christians should not be a call to repentance. Now, I know there are some who don't feel they've been preached at unless a bony finger has pointed in their direction and they've been told to repent. But real conviction of sin in our lives comes from the Holy Spirit who indwells us and from our understanding of God's will for us as revealed in his word, not from some pulpit-pounding preacher who thinks it's his job to make everyone feel guilty. We should leave preaching about repentance. The next thing we're to leave behind is a foundational teaching about faith. Toward God, constant exhortations about the need for faith and faithfulness are to be left behind. If someone has believed the gospel and has made Christ Lord of his life, he doesn't need to keep hearing sermons about the need to trust God. He's already entrusted himself to God. Now, he might benefit from an occasional encouraging reminder to trust the Lord, especially in the heat of a spiritual battle. But that should be sufficient. And all you need to do to help him be faithful is to teach him God's will for him as revealed in his word. The faith is already there. It's already there if he's trusted Christ to save him eternally. The next thing he mentions is instruction about washings, or actually baptisms. Apparently, a lot of Christian church preachers have chosen to ignore this passage, how they love to preach on baptism. The writer of Hebrews says we are to leave the instructions about baptism behind. Now, he uses the plural, baptisms, because there were various baptisms in the first century. There was Christian baptism. There was John the Baptist baptism. There were Jewish ceremonial cleansings. And while it was important that someone coming to Christ understand the difference between various baptisms, there was no need to keep preaching about it all the time just as there is no need to keep talking about the need for baptism and the various forms of baptism practiced today once someone is buried with Christ in Christian baptism. It's an elementary teaching that's to be left behind, as is the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands was much more common in the early church than it is in the church today. It had been used for centuries in Judaism to symbolize the transference of something from one person to another, and it was used by the church as a public testimony to the bestowal of honor or special privilege upon someone, and it served an extraordinary purpose when the apostles gave to selected individuals special gifts from the Holy Spirit through the laying on of their hands, through the laying on of apostolic hands. The laying on of hands could have become a real source of jealousy and division in the church it had always been talked about. Now, can't you hear someone bragging about the fact that an apostle had laid hands on them? Well, who laid hands on you? It wasn't to be the topic of continual discussion or comparison. And I think a parallel can be found in the church today by continually talking about gifts and positions in the church. We should simply exercise the gifts and fulfill the ministries God has given us, not talk about them or compare them. Next, he mentions the resurrection of the dead. The focus of preaching shouldn't be speculation about all that's going to happen when the dead arise. We've been told we will live forever when Jesus returns. And we've been given enough information about it to look forward to it. But it's wrong to constantly be preaching about the end times. God is more concerned about how we live now. He'll take care of the future. The last thing he mentions as an elementary teaching is eternal judgment. You know, if someone has come to Christ, he already believes there's going to be a judgment. And he has been made ready for it by allowing Jesus' blood to cover him and his sins. He doesn't need to have fire and brimstone sermons week after week, to keep him on the straight and narrow. All he needs to know is what the Lord wants him to do and what he has said in his word. All of it. All of it. If we are to go on to maturity in Christ and be what he wants us to be in the world, we've got to go beyond The ABCs. We've got to clean out our ears. And start listening and thinking. We've got to expand our diet and start chewing on the meat of the word. We've got to quit rehashing the stuff we already know and go on to what we don't know. know, It's good to hear the old stories, again and again. But let's not do so to the detriment of learning more about Jesus and his will for us. And this we will do, if God permits. Let's stand.